This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby's enjoying some time off with plans to return on Thursday, and I'll be joining you until then, today, tomorrow, and on Wednesday, January 1st, when we air part two of the Best of Fight Back 2019, looking back at the year that was. Today marks the final 2019 conversation with our Fight Back Zoomer squad. Peter Mugridge of Zoomer Magazine is on vacation, but Zoomer Media Vice President David Kravitz is here in studio with me and on the phone. Marissa Lennox, Senior Policy Officer at CARP, a new vision of aging. Welcome both. Hi. Hi, Jane. Good to have you both here as we uh, get ready to ring in the new year. If you were listening to my news this morning, you heard about a tragedy averted in Quebec, a fire in a senior's residence in Trois-Pistoles forced 70 people out of their homes, but everyone is okay. No one was injured. <clears throat> Compare this to nearly six years ago when the nursing home fire in Lille Verte led to the deaths of 32 people. <laughs> it was soon after that a range of protective measures were put in place in Quebec to ensure this would never happen again. David, the big issue in the Lille Verte fire was the lack of sprinklers, automatic sprinklers and insufficient overnight staff at the residence. We don't know all the circumstances surrounding this most recent fire, but given that it's at a senior's home in Quebec, it sort of uh, it allows us the opportunity to reflect on that tragedy six years ago and what has been done since. It does, it does allow us to reflect on it. Important, it makes how important it is to be vigilant of these things because of the hue and cry last time. And the fact that this is a vulnerable population, not that any fire isn't, they're all dangerous, but particularly where you have elderly people who have mobility issues, may not be able to get get to safety quickly. The regulations they brought in obviously contributed in a positive way to uh, avoiding what could have been a huge tragedy. Seventy people, I think, in Trois-Pistol were were out on the street. Mm -hmm. Well, that's bad, but it's 70 fatality, potential fatalities that were averted. Exactly. So I think it shows how important it is to, to keep vigilant about these things and for governments mm -hmm. to continue to uh, improve their, uh, their regulations. Mm -hmm. Marissa? So, first of all, anytime there's a story in a long-term care home where residents' lives are put at risk, it is tragic, um, and it's an important reminder that these things do happen. And we need to ensure that our homes across the country are equipped with proper, proper safety equipment and protocols to minimize damage. Unfortunately, no one um, this time was injured, but that hasn't always been the case. When this happened a few years ago in Quebec... As you mentioned, several senior residents died, and it forced the province to introduce, you know, this regulation requiring mandatory automatic sprinklers in Quebec seniors' homes, not only in um, common areas, but also in suites. But still, though, even when provinces have done it, for example, Ontario, when Ontario made it mandatory, in fact, Ontario is the first province that made automatic sprinkler systems mandatory, Still, today, dozens of homes from Windsor to Sault Ste. Marie to Sudbury to all over the GTA still don't have them, um, let alone in common areas. So 
we have long fought for sprinklers in all suites and in all, all um, common areas. Um, and we know that it's a cost thing, and, and, and it, for whatever reason, it seems to be a bit of a barrier for some of these homes. But there needs to be inspections to make sure that these homes actually have them in place because it makes sense. They save lives. They protect property. There are no brainer. And still, we know many homes across the country. Now, in, in the case in Quebec, I'm not sure. I assume there were sprinklers. People were able to get on, out on time. But it's not just ensuring that there are sprinkler systems in homes. I mean, there are a whole bunch of things that, that homes ought to be doing from ensuring that there are more smoke detectors, fire alarms, evacuation plans, better safety training for staff. You know, consider when a resident is bedridden or has, has less mobility and is frail. How do you move that resident uh, and potentially dozens more in a safe and in a timely way? Are staff trained to do this? Is there enough staff on hand to be able to move an entire floor out safely? So we need to look at safety standards that are national, because right now it's very patchwork. Right. Well, and and you bring up uh, the comments that you're mentioning, Marissa. I'd like to put to our Zoomer radio audience, uh, there are some of you out there listening who right now have loved ones in a long-term care home. If there were to be a fire tonight, how confident are you that your loved one would be removed in a safe and timely manner? I'd like to hear from you. Uh, if you have some thoughts about this, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. It was the year after Lilvert, David, that legislation was passed in Quebec requiring all seniors' residences in the province to have automatic sprinklers installed by the end of 2020. So they still have one more year. Uh, I was looking at an article this morning from a year ago that said at that time roughly half of residents in the province had met the requirement, which means that half still... Yes, they're on their way. But part two of that, which Marissa touched on, which I think is important, is the quantity and the training of the staff because uh, you have to be able to give prompt instructions. Even with sprinklers, there is risk into, you know, staying inside the building. You have to get everybody out. And are there enough people to do this? Mm-hmm. Are there enough people to physically exi- uh, assist people who may be frail, who may have mobility issues? So if I'm thinking back to the Ilvert recommendations. There was a staffing answer. It was people and machines, if you will, or equipment and people. And the people part of it is very important. And they seem to have, uh, at least in this latest case, um, had the means to uh, accomplish uh, what they needed to mm-hmm. do, which is good. And that's was in a small town yes. as well. Right. Because, Marissa, part of the problem uh, with Lil Vert, with their fi- uh, fire, were, mm-hmm. was... Uh, the local firefighting force, they weren't properly trained to respond in a timely manner. And of course, nobody was on staff overnight. So it just equals disaster. Exactly. And so it's an important reminder that even if you are to put in sprinkler systems, there are a whole bunch of other things that have to be implemented and taken very seriously to ensure, to minimize uh, damage in these types of situations. Certainly in Ontario, 
you know, another big issue is, you know, where, again, they have uh, system, uh, regulations in place to ensure that homes have um, uh, a sprinkler. Still, we know that homes don't. And it doesn't seem to affect their license. It doesn't seem to affect their good standing status. In other words, they continue to operate with a valid license. In Ontario, municipal fire departments are meant to be doing these inspections, but the ministry doesn't track this information. So, uh, you know, it's as I said in the beginning, it's very patchwork. It's disjointed, and it's not a cohesive strategy to, to, to address it. Interestingly, uh, since that big fire in Quebec, more than 300 seniors' residences have closed in the province of Quebec. And some homes in Quebec have rebranded themselves to avoid paying for increased security measures. So it has certainly, David, changed the dynamic of the nursing home scenario in Quebec, this fire, for good and for bad. It it, it has, and it also points out, I think, um, the importance of the public demanding and using these uh, benchmarks as criteria before you put a loved one in one of these institutions. And I know uh, uh, Marissa and I have talked about this at CARP, continuing to promote uh, what are you looking for? Are you asking Mm -hmm. the right questions? Are you examining, you're about to put a loved one into uh, one of these facilities? Are you asking the right questions? And that's an excellent point. Yeah, life, Mm -hmm. death, safety um, ought to be number one. And I'm not minimizing anything else. But you know, before I start worrying about how big the big screen TV is in the recreation lounge, Mm -hmm. what happens if there's a fire? Am I taking that into account? And that's something again. You know, our listeners may have some comments on what has been their experience in shopping. I use that word, but in looking for these facilities. Marissa, would you like to add to that? I would. Um, You took the words right out of my mouth, David, (laughs) which is often the case. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so important that families, when they're looking at various homes to send their loved ones to, go in and check to see the number of smoke detectors that are there. Ask about what evacuation plans they have. Um, Inquire about what uh, the degree of staffing looks like and visit at different times of day because sometimes the staffing levels are much better during peak hours than they are in the evenings. And in the case of this incident in Quebec, I think the fire happened at 2 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So you really want to make sure that this is the safest place possible for your loved one. That has to be priority number one when deciding where to send a loved one. Clay in Ajax would like to get in on our conversation here on Fight Back about nursing home safety, particularly when it comes uh, to uh, fires and if a fire should break out to make sure the the residents get out okay. Go ahead, Clay. What's your yeah. comment or question? Well, my comment is was, it was Kathleen Wynne was premier when we had the fire in Quebec. And what she did was they, they gave them 15 years, the nursing home 15 years, to comply with putting sprinkler systems in. What they should have done, maybe was they should have put in interest-free loans for them to comply with it now, not, not giving them 15 years. Like I say, a lot of the nursing homes went out of business because they couldn't afford to do it or they didn't want to comply with it. That meant there's that many shortages again for the seniors to go into these homes. Uh, okay, but, thank you, Clay. It's Jane for Libby today. Okay. Marissa, can you comment on that? Yeah, so, so, so from what I understand, all new homes are required to put in sprinkler systems, and um, older homes had, uh, from what I understood, a period of five years to comply. <clears throat> so all homes should be in compliance today. 
they are not, but they should be. And I, um, and to his point on interest-free loans, I mean, I do think that the government should 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 uh, support them financially in trying to make this um, this you know retrofit or whatever you know you would call it. Right. There there would be some sort of tax break or incentive, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's change topics. Uh, we're with our our abbreviated Zoomer squad today of uh, David Kravitz of Zoomer Media and Marissa Lennox of CARP, A New Vision of Aging. Peter Mugridge of Zoomer Magazine uh, will join us when we reconvene in 2020. Um, we'd like to talk now about finances, which is always a hot topic among Zoomers. A new CIBC poll says debt Repayment is the top financial issue for Canadians for the 10th straight year. David, are you surprised by no, this? No, I'm, I'm surprised that it continues to rank that high and yet the debt is that high. So I suspect mm-hmm. that some of it is people telling the um, researcher what he or she thinks they want the the researcher wants to hear like if I would look better in the eyes of the researcher if I said I wanted to pay down debt than if I said I wanted to buy more and make more money on the stock market. So I'm I'm a little bit um, not skeptical, but I have a little little. So in other words, when they ask entirely the, <laughs> when they ask the question, they give them five answers, yeah, yeah. and they think, oh, debt repayment. That's the most responsible answer. That's, it'll make me look good, and, right? Because if it's ten years in a row where they all claim the same thing, and then you look at the levels of consumer debt that are very high, um, why is why is it why aren't they making? There's any a disconnect there, uh, Mar- Marissa. Perhaps. So you know, I can. I can relate because I'd like to reduce my debt too. Um, what we know, uh, some of the trends, unpaid mortgages represent a new norm for seniors. You know, not only are seniors retiring with debt, they owe more now than they did in the past. We also are in a very low interest rate environment, so that's a factor. But, you know, the average mortgage debt has climbed, I think, with this baby boomer generation, David could probably confirm that. The boomers are also taking on more debt just mortgages. Cart members tell us that many owe more uh, than just mortgages, whether it's a personal line or on a credit card. And the reasons for this debt is varied, whether it's, you know, to retrofit a home, unexpected uh, financial emergency, perhaps it's sort of a relaxed attitude toward borrowing, or simply more, people are more optimistic about being able to repay their debt. Uh, Marissa, way. your your line is going in and out a little bit. Can you go back to the position you were in at the beginning <laughs> when we were chatting? Because yeah. we're just catching, uh, just that last little bit, we're catching every second or third word. Oh, sort of that. Here, can you hear me? No. Okay, let me jump in. Yeah, you jump Mar- in while Marissa, Marissa goes back point, to where though, she about, was. About mm-hmm. the older, because we're talking about Zoomers and that. Um, 30% of baby boomers or over a third, and baby boomers is age 55 on the young side, 75 on the old, uh, about a third have delayed retirement in order to fund um, adult children still living at home. So one of the expenses um, that they that they have uh, that maybe previous generations didn't have is that they're taking care of children at an older and older age. I'm not trying to turn this into an intergenerational uh, argument, but it's a fact. Uh, They've delayed their retirement. They've not cashed in on those homes uh, that they've been sitting on to the criticism of younger people. You're fat cats sitting on these multi-million dollar homes. Yeah, but I can't sell the home because I need the space because the the, the adult children. So, you know, that's, that's a problem 
we are seeing because of the high cost of housing, it spills over against all uh, age groups and it um, you can't make these clean demarcations between generations anymore because the financial woes of one are spilling over into the other. 40% of boomers said they're helping with some expenses of adult children who in previous generations would have been shouldering those expenses uh, on their own. Right. Marissa, I think we've got you in a better place now. Have we got you there, Marissa? Yeah, we're still trying okay, to. Well, we'll do our best. Yeah, we'll sort. We'll sort it out. But I think that's a reason that they they are carrying those costs, and um, uh, it's difficult to retire the debt. Well, we what we don't know, I guess, from this poll, and a lot of times these polls, the headline is perhaps in this case it's it's a, one of our major banks that's put out this poll. The headline is what they want it to be, right? Um, but what we don't know is how this debt repayment psychographic uh, of the of the people that answered the questions, how it breaks down among the various demographics. We don't know that exactly. Not in that poll, but we can deduce from other evidence that the uh, older quote-unquote population is serious um, about debt, whether they can do anything about it or not. For example, a substantial proportion, a majority of uh, Zoomers, 45 plus, and a majority of CARP members uh, pay credit cards in full every month. Mm -hmm. More people in this age group are paying their balance in full every month than making a minimum payment or a partial payment. Now, partly that's understandable. They're older, they've made more money, they've got more money than maybe a college grad just starting out. But it means that they're not excited about carrying debt if they don't have to. So right, they and they paying, would they would have other sources of yes, credit, like a line a personal line, line of credit, credit which, where the interest rate would be far less far than less a credit than a credit card. card. Yeah. So they're they're not excited about debt. They're not, and it's a little bit ironic if I can date myself here, because the baby boomers grew up the age that uh, the millennials are, when the baby boomers were that age, the prime interest rate was 16%. And if you went to the bookstore and got all those books about financial management and wealth management and all those experts telling you what to do with your money, they were saying, when we, when the boomers were in their mid-20s, borrow every nickel you can, get into as much debt as you can because inflation is so high, you're paying it off in cheaper dollars. Mm-hmm. Take it on now because the payments you're making are worth less than the debt you're taking on and you're benefiting from the, the face amounts the same, but the dollars worth so much. Less. Borrow, 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 borrow. Yeah, that I, was what the smart people were telling you right. to do. Well, and that's a good point. I mean, when I think about when I bought my first house, which was uh, 31 years ago, the interest rate was 13%. Right. And that was a good interest rate in 1988. Yes. <laughs> Laughably. The credit card would have been double. You, you know. wonder, Marissa, if over time, where interest rates have gone down to record lows and stayed there for a decade, if people feel they can take on more debt because the interest rates are never going to go up. <laughs> Not going to no, it's not <clears throat> happening today with Marissa's but line. But, no, but your point is quite correct. If interest rates are, but on the other hand, inflation is low, which means I'm paying it off in the same dollar value that I borrowed it. Yes. As opposed to when the boomers were young, I'm paying it off with cheaper dollars, with inflated dollars. So if I borrow a thousand dollars today, 
I've got to pay them a thousand dollars, but the thousand I'm paying them is really only worth seven hundred because of inflation. Well, I want to hear from you, the Zoomer radio listener, on this topic. Have you found yourself in your Zoomer years in debt? Maybe you had paid off your debt 10, 15 years ago, and for whatever reasons, different circumstances, as David mentioned, you may have adult children at home, Uh, perhaps your income has gone down. What happened that you couldn't become debt-free by the traditional retirement age? And I know finances are private, but this is radio. (laughs) You can use a pseudonym (laughs) if you want. Uh, Just to call in and tell us your story, 416 40 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And the other thing interesting about this topic, David, and there's really no solid indication that we're going to go into recession in 2020, and yet 55% of respondents to this poll say they're worried about this. Well, again, I think, I think they're worried about it because the uh, expert opinion is so divided People can't quite believe that the stock market is still doing well. So every time you turn around, someone's saying, you know, we've reached the top, you know, the, 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 the end is coming. And also the Canadian economy is underperforming the U.S. economy. So that's always a bit of a fear. Um, are we overextended? We have uh, unemployment problems that don't appear uh, as intense uh, in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I've lived through, we've both lived through decades of experts being wrong, experts being right. Uh, I think naturally the older you get, don't forget, uh, this, is, this is a truism, you have less margin for error. You have fewer years to recover. You cannot take a hit the way you could in your 20s and 30s. So you're bound to be a little bit more uh, conservative. Uh, so sorry, we couldn't get Marissa Lennox line ironed out, but she will return for our conversation next Monday. In the meantime, David Kravitz, uh, Vice President of Zoomer Media, is joining us. As we talk about the year that was uh, for older Canadians, goals achieved, uh, specifically when it comes to efforts by CARP, a new vision of aging, and some of the goals we're looking forward to achieving in 2020. So let's start, David, by looking back at the year that was. Well, I think uh, CARP was uh, very successful in getting some of the financial concerns that we have, pension reform, uh, benefits to seniors, A, on the agenda, and B, uh, being responded to by levels of government, either by direct legislation or by uh, sharing the same platform and promises during an election campaign. So there is an awareness that CARP uh, has played a big role in in financial equity for seniors, uh, protection against, um, you know, financial uncertainty when you're most vulnerable. This definitely was a, became a mainstream issue that all uh, parties shared. Um, on the healthcare front, there has been some uh, increased talk about national pharmacare. We'll see whether that happens or not. Uh, dental uh, coverage for seniors coming in Ontario, talked about in the federal level. So we've gotten these topics onto the agenda in some cases uh, by direct action. Uh, and in some cases by, you know, commitments to action. And so I think we can look back on that as being, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, very successful. Um, Less successful, uh, not so much on CARP's part, but just on, you know, society as a whole, is that once you get past these limited 
topics, they're, they're important topics, but single-issue topics, uh, the so-called seniors' vote or the seniors' block was um, not really picked up on. No, it was a completely different by, scenario. By the political parties right. in the election. It was, I'll give you, they check, we, in fact, Moses wrote about it in Zoomer magazine. He was right, completely right. They checked the box. I mean, I can't ignore you completely. Here you go. Here's a little pension thing for you. Leave me alone. I'm going away now and I'll worry about the, uh, the millennial vote. So um, I think both parties paid a price for that because I think they could have done much better had they gone after that vote more aggressively than they did, and they did not do it. Um, we're going to try to make it harder for them in the future, we being CARP, to uh, be that indifferent, and we'll see uh, We'll see how we, we, we do with that. But, Can you give us a, a little bit of a hint? Well, I know I think, you don't want to... No, no, I you, think it's coming, and we've talked uh-huh. about it on the show, so I don't mind. The, the, we, are, we really are determined next year to make health care, finally, uh, let's just get serious here. Let's get real here. The system is underperforming. We have this sort of um, emotional ownership of this pride of the Canadian health care is what makes us different, what makes us special. But the fact is that many other countries around the world are spending less money on health care as a percentage of their GDP than we are. So we're near the top of spending, and those other countries are getting way better results. So we're near the bottom of results. Interesting, because most of the time the conversation is Canada versus the U.S. Of course. Of course. And if I was a bureaucrat running our years out of date, underperforming healthcare system, I would want you to be distracted. I would want to say to you, look over here, look over here, look how bad it is in the United States. We don't want that bad thing we don't want that and he's and that's right but they've used that bait and switch in effect as a way of distracting attention from the woeful underperformance of our healthcare system compared to other countries now has it always been woeful compared to other countries other than the US or are we resting on our laurels and that's part of the reason why we're our comparison factor is not so high at the moment against other countries it's always been We've always underperformed because we boxed ourselves into a corner where we're saying we have to preserve single-payer health. We don't want two-tier. Well, in the course of saying we don't want two-tier, we've got uh, 32-tier because maybe you've got medical coverage. Maybe I don't. Maybe you can afford a physiotherapist. Whoops, not covered by OHIP. So they're delisting service after service after service. Um, and so the the shrinking pool of services that they're paying for, hey, is it one tier? Nobody can get to the head of the queue, but what about all this other stuff? It was a system designed when the median age was in the late 20s. Now it's in the late 40s. It was designed for a treatment system. You're sick, you go, you get treated, we pay for it. Now it's maintenance. Now pharmaceuticals are much more important. Maintenance is more important. Healthy living is more important. Um, Quasi-medical or post-medical treatment is more important, none of which is embodied or even close to adequately addressed in our system. So CARP's going to be very combative on this topic uh, in 2020, and I urge all of our listeners to join the fight and keep well, your right. eyes open. We're going to be making a lot of noise. That, well, this is what I want to know. How important is CARP's advocacy? Is CARP the, the biggest advocacy for older Canadians in the country? Far and away the biggest. Uh, our membership uh, tops 300,000. It would be better if it topped 
six hundred thousand. Oh, and so because to get they pay attention sure. to numbers, you know. So to get involved, carp.ca. Carp.ca, and keep your eyes on carp.ca. Uh, if not today, watch us early in the new year because we are going to be coming out with some very uh, startling. Uh, bad news, if you will, about the performance of our healthcare system. And we just think the time has come. And, you know, we talk to our members and we have these network of chapters across the country. They're very pumped about this because they're saying, finally, it's time to call the politicians to account. And it's very interesting. I'll just leave your listeners with this thought that when the provincial premiers had their meeting in Mississauga uh, last month, earlier this month, I guess, they all called for more money for health care. But the fact of the matter is we're already in the top, uh, I think we're fourth from the top or third from the top of all the OECD countries in spending on health care as a percentage of GDP. So, so we're, we're not getting bang top. for our buck. So why are we getting worse? Why don't we might say we don't want what the United States has, but I'd like to have what France has or what yes. Germany. Why don't we deserve what Australia has? And once we get Canadians asking that question and let CARP be your voice, join CARP and let us be the megaphone, we will make them notice. And there's four provincial elections in the next two years. And maybe a government or two deserves to be defeated on this. And we're going to try our best. Sounds great. David, before I let you go, your, your personal goals for 2020, have you, have you made any goals? Have you laid anything too, out for too yourself? Numerous to, too numerous to mention, but I'm looking forward to uh, uh, counting my blessings and not being so obsessed with the hour-by-hour hour fluctuations in the news cycle. That's Sorry if I can say that to a no, news no, no, person, no, 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 and but, I and you're right because sometimes we read too much. Sometimes a lot of what we read in social media is not true. No. Uh, so the the more we can read uh, other publications, even online, to get to the to get to the truth of the matter, it, you, you're better spent reading an article in the New York Times, say, than looking at your Twitter right. feed for and an also hour. Also, take advantage of the fact that we are Zoomers and say, you know, today's yikes becomes not such a big deal in 48 hours. It's stuff we've yes. seen before. The world doesn't end. Uh, nothing. My my view, I'd like to put it into practice. I always fail. But it's, you know, nothing is as bad as it looks or as good as it looks. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. <laughs> Thanks for your time today, well, thank David. You. Thanks so much for having me. David Kravitz, Zoomer Media Vice President. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.